more strange, more frightening, and more fascinating than most people ever imagined or dared to contemplate. Your parents, your teachers, never told you the whole story, either out of ignorance or fear. Your politicians may know, but they keep their mouths shut. The door is opening. Throw off your chains and blinders, arm yourselves with the truth, and take a walk along the razor-sharp precipice of the Outer Edge. It doesn't matter where you go to hide. It doesn't matter if you hide under your bed, hide in your closet. It <laughs> uh, doesn't matter if you travel to another state. A state of mind? A state of bliss? It doesn't matter. They know where you are. They can always find you. They'll track you uh, with your computer, with your cell phone. But there's one thing, one thing you can always be assured of. You're safe on the outer edge. As long as you don't <laughs> fall over your <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Once again, you're with the outer edge with Tim Swartz and Mike Mott. Mike, how you doing tonight? Pretty good, man. Pretty good. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great. You know, I've been uh, uh, fascinated uh, this week, and I'm really happy that uh, we can talk about this a little bit before we uh, bring our guest on. Uh, but I've been uh, uh, just just fascinated by the pictures that have been coming from Mars recently. And right. especially, especially the one that shows what looks to be like, you know, a crab or a scorpion, however you'd want to, you know, uh, interpret it. That's like nestled in a crevice on a cliff face. Uh, somewhere there on the, uh, the surface of, of, of Mars. And boy, I tell you, you know, a lot of the photographs that have come out of Mars that, you know, some of these people have said, oh, well, you know, that looks, you know, that looks like a lizard or a skull or, or what have you. Right. You know, I mean, I, I've, I've had <clears throat> a little trouble, you know, see, seeing those interpretations. But this one, I tell you something, I, I really find it difficult to believe that this is just, you know, uh, your mind putting together random images looking for a crab monster on Mars. <laughs> but boy, I tell you something, it sure looks like some kind of creature with legs to me. It does. It's very strange. It almost looks like uh, um, some sort of arthropod. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, and, and I would like to know, you know, what kind of, you know, if this is just, uh, you know, some kind of uh, rock formation, what kind how. of, uh, yeah, what kind of geological conditions are taking place that will produce, you know, like uh, cylinders that look like legs? Well, know? yeah, I mean, it doesn't match any of the surrounding strata at all. No, no, that's, and that's just it. See, if there were other things, you know, like say it was uh, like a crystal, you know, crystalline structure, you know, that was formed uh, during volcanic activity or something like that, then you would see others, I would think. Yeah. You know, uh, sir, uh, in the same area. No, this, this thing is unique in this area. Yeah, it's bizarre. It almost looks like it has a, a facial structure in the center of it. Very strange. <laughs> yeah, that old boy. You know what it reminded me of? Edgar Rice Burroughs wrote a series of, you know, uh, novels set on Mars. Right. Which he called Barsoom, of course. Mm-hmm. And, uh, one of the 
books was called The Chess Men of Mars. Yes. And in that, in that book, there are some characters called the Caldanes. And the Caldanes are basically crab humanoid heads. They're mm. he, like humanoid heads with crab spider legs and attachments and, and uh, pinchers and stuff. And they, there's another race that doesn't have a head. That, but but the body is like a human body, and the Caldanes mm. mount into the neck area, and then ride them around, and then they can like you know leave them or exchange them for another one or something. And this thing almost looks like one of one of Burroughs Caldanes. It's pretty pretty weird. <laughs> uh, well, um, <clears throat> and the way that it's uh, that it it's positioned itself, kind of like in a um, uh, like a, a, sh- a shadowy area uh, in this cliff face, is like you know. I mean that it, that you would expect a living creature to do that. You know, either to get out of the sun or to wait for prey. You know, uh, so out of out of all the pictures that I have seen so far, um, that one has me baffled and yeah. more and more convinced that there's more going on on Mars <laughs> than well, what they're several, telling us. Yeah, there are several anomalous uh, objects and structures that have been photographed. I mean, it, it looks like, uh, we talked about this before, a junkyard or even more mm. like a blast zone. It looks mm-hmm. like some place where um, a city... Cities have been just blown to bits. Um, there, there are objects there that are obviously, and I say this obviously, mm-hmm. symmetrical in a, such a way that they would have to be artificially contrived and created. Yeah. Um, there, there are, you know, there, there are what look like machined pieces of machinery, machined objects, metal. Um, you know, I found some several years ago and, and put them on a page on my website. There, and one of which was a uh, a honeycomb object, which is what I call it because. Because it looks like a piece of honeycomb cereal, right? Right. I mean, it's perfectly round except for the the perfectly spaced ridges, you know, bowing outward around the rim, and then perfectly spaced indentations inside that, and it looks just like a piece of honeycomb cereal, and it's sticking out of the dirt. So, you know, that's a machined object. That's not something that that unless it were made by a life form in terms of of. Uh, you know, a piece of a, a bone or something. Mm-hmm. Somebody or something made that. And even then, that says that there's life, you know, even if it's not machined. But in that same blast area where I found that object, I found a lot of other stuff, too. You know, uh, what looks like a, a metal piece that has fl- flanges on it, um, perpendicular surfaces, which are obviously machined surfaces, a curvilinear object, which looks almost like a... I don't know, a shoehorn or maybe something like you'd see in a floral arrangement or something. Just a lot of really weird stuff laying there sticking on, sticking out of the ground and on top of the ground. And that stuff is all there in one area. It's not all pareidolia is what I'm saying. It's not all right. just in people's minds. So, um, yeah. But I mean, that's, that's the standard explanation that we're, that, the, that we're constantly being told. That, no, these, the, this is not what you're seeing. It's all just a, you know, a construct of your mind, you know, that, uh, that looks for, uh, shapes. You know, that's, you know, part of, I guess, a primitive, primitive structure in the mind, uh, to help, uh, uh, keep us from being eaten by, uh, predators who are hiding in the bushes, and, you know. 
that we we still retain that and 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 see this stuff you know uh, in clouds or or what other kinds of formations but uh you know more and more i just i i find it hard to believe and well and there was also uh the uh, uh, the picture of what looks to be like a woman standing on uh, a cliff Almost right. like a like a ghostly, uh, uh, misty type of figure, you know. Uh, but I think the, they were saying that it would have been if it actually was a figure standing there. It'd been like like a foot in height, no more than that. Yeah, tiny yeah. little little woman, one of the weak. Well, if you, but you think about it, I mean, Mars is what a quarter of the Earth's gravity. Right. So, so if there were humanoids on Mars, they would probably be small. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. That's uh, uh, you know, a couple, a couple of hundred science fiction writers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, that was always the uh, yeah. uh, Mars, well, there, there with are, the exception of Edgar Rice Burroughs. Well, I mean, there, there, are, there are two ways it can actually go. You could have extremely small people because of mm-hmm. the uh, or beings because of the uh, the low gravity, mm-hmm. or or depending on the biology, you could have extremely tall beings. Because of the low gravity. Hmm. You see what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Right, right, yeah. yeah. Either yeah. way, either way would work. So, who knows, man? We have no way of knowing what's up there or what has been up there. Mm-hmm. Somebody knows. I really believe that somebody knows. Uh, I think so. Um, and that's, you know, I mean, more, more and more the the research that is that that uh, that's being conducted on mars i mean you know we had the uh um we had the physicist on well it's been a couple of months ago i mean who had he, you know he wrote that book on his research and it looked like that mars had been uh nuked not once but twice you know with air bursts and that the uh the uh, isotopes that are found on the surface of mars i mean are not naturally occurring right you know? right exactly and, uh, something yeah. happened for sure. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so, uh, yeah. but and you know, and there there was also there's also the speculation that uh, you know around the time that uh, life on Mars was dying, life on Earth was starting here. I, yeah, but I suspect that life is still on Mars. The, the little crab thing, even if it's just a shell from something, I, I you know I just have my suspicion. I, I saw another video recently. Where there was actual video from the rover that's up there now, and uh, mm-hmm. and in one frame the sand was empty, and you could see like the uh, a part of something had been discarded by the rover, and then right. a few days later, the same area there was like a little thing, I don't know how to describe it, almost like a conch shell, elongated thing moving across the sand with a trail behind it. Hmm. Okay, it's there. And then it's not there, and then it's there, you know. So that tells me that there's something there. Now, here's here's my question: By going there, what can of worms might we be opening if we accidentally bring something back? Because <laughs> we may bring something back that that has been so long in a harsh environment, surviving by any means necess- necessary, that it sees us and everything here as a smorgasbord. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> and we're not just talking about bacteria or anything like that. No, we're talking. We're talking about something that uh, you know could be big enough to physically <laughs> uh, snack on us. Yep. 
Yeah, and even if but, it's something small, it can still snack on you. Oh well, yeah, but well, I mean, you know, but uh, <laughs> even if it's a microbe, it, can, it might still snack on you. You know. Yeah, you know, but I, see, I, I see now. I think this whole this whole the whole scenario of going to another planet and bringing back a microbe that could be harmful for us probably wouldn't work because uh, these microbes are already raining down on us from space all the time. Yeah. I don't think I, I doubt if we will find. Uh, when we go to other planets, that many, you know, uh, microbes, bacteria, viruses, that are that much different. Sure, I mean, you know, I mean, you you see what the devastation, you know, like just a regular mutated virus here on planet Earth can do to us. Right. Uh, it, it'll be the same situation there, but nothing that we couldn't, you know, quickly, uh, uh, you know, gain an immunity to. But like it, you were saying. It depends. I mean, there are some diseases that wipe out huge segments of the population, before they're ever brought into check, and we still don't have a cure for Ebola, you know. Oh no, no. And so but, that, you know, you never know. And and the thing is that I think of the movie, the original first movie, Species, mm-hmm, where the guy mm-hmm. goes to Mars and he and he brings back something. Remember, mm-hmm. um, you know, this this the idea is that this could be an opportunistic organism, you know. Um, we have them here. We have them here on Earth. You know, uh, or, organisms that take over other organisms and then control them. You know, it happens a lot in, in the in the uh, animal kingdom, especially with things like insects and, and and such. So who knows, man? You know, I I think that the thing about Mars is it's potentially a huge um, piece of real estate that people are going to fight over eventually. You know, there's there's minerals there, there's space there, there's territory there. There's probably all kinds of cool stuff you could do there you can't do here because of the lower gravity in terms of science. There's all kinds of reasons that people are going to want to go there. But they also are going to have to be really careful <laughs> because they may go there and, you know, it, it needs to be a very slow, careful process because you never know what you might find. That's right. That's right. Well, uh, Mike, I want to uh, 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 let's let's get on to uh, uh, bringing our our guest on um, after after a quick break here. But I just want to uh, talk about it for just a, just a minute or so tonight. We're very fortunate to have uh, Marie D. Jones uh, as as our guest, and uh, now Marie is the author of a number of books about the paranormal, metaphysics, cutting edge science. Uh, uh, many of her books she's co-authored with uh, Larry Flaxman, uh, who is also co-author of the book that uh, we're going to be talking uh, quite a bit about tonight, called Mind Wars. Uh, Who's been watching you from the shadows is the uh, subtitle. Um, you know, she's, uh, she's also the author of, uh, Science, and that's spelled P-S-I-E-N-C-E, uh, The Deja Vu Enigma, Destiny versus Choice, uh, 11-11, The Time Prompt Phenomenon, uh, let's see, she's also, she's appeared on more than a thousand radio shows worldwide. Well, with ours, there'll be a thousand and one, I guess. Right. <laughs> and, uh, she's, she's also, uh, she's, uh, she's joined us. She has been on Ancient Aliens and, uh, cool. yeah, and, uh, so, I mean, she's just, uh, a very, very knowledgeable person and I'm, I'm, I'm really excited that she, uh, that she can be w- here with us tonight and talk about, uh, um, Mind control, uh, the, and the surveillance society, which is always, uh, I mean, that's a favorite subject of mine. So, uh, uh, why don't we, why don't we go to our break now? And, uh, when we come back, 
we'll uh, we'll be back with uh, Marie D. Jones, author of Mind Wars. All right. Okay, so you're listening to The Outer Edge on the PSN Radio Network. Stay tuned. We will be right back. I'm LeVar Burton, and I'm proud to be a book person. How do I choose a book? Sometimes it's the cover, sometimes it's the title. I guess I'm pretty visual. If a book's really impressing me and the writing is really good, I will peek and see what the last paragraph is. Because the endings of books should rock you. I am a book person. And if you're a book person, too, read to a child and spark a lifetime of ambition. Join me at bookpeopleunite.org because reading is fundamental. A public service announcement brought to you by Reading is Fundamental, Library of Congress, and the Ad Council. Green light. Hey, girl. School zone. I'm getting hungry. Car changing lanes. You want to meet me for pizza? Stop sign. Intersection clear. Yeah, street. Pizza sounds good. Ball in street? Girl in street! (gasps) It's hard to concentrate on two things at once, like texting and driving. Stop the text. Stop the wrecks. How will you stop texting and driving? Tell us at stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Conspiracy Journal is your number one source for the hidden world of the weird and strange. We bring you thought-provoking and controversial material for free-thinking individuals who are seeking what is really going on in our world today. Some of this material may adversely affect you. Other pieces are meant to enlighten. Either way, be prepared to be intrigued by such things as the reality of UFOs, ghosts, strange creatures from time and space, hidden conspiracies, time travel, Nikola Tesla, suppressed technology, and a whole lot more. You can find out more by visiting our website at conspiracyjournal.com. There you can sign up for our free weekly newsletter sent directly to your email address. You can also receive our free print catalog. Just send your name and mailing address to mrufo8 at hotmail.com. I'll spell that out for you. M-R-U-F-O, the number 8, at hotmail.com. mrufo8 at hotmail.com. Find out what they don't want you to know.
put a team of professional consultants behind your home or business computer with key information solutions, providing solutions to your internet and computing needs while keeping you on the cutting edge of technology, preventative maintenance and networking support, hardware and custom built computers. Let key information solutions be your personal tech staff for your home or office with affordable hourly, monthly or annual rates to fit anyone's budget. Call Key Information Solutions now. 954-973-3374. That's 954-973-3374. Or visit keyinformation.com. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application, Mobile Talk Radio. Imagine having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. You'll be surprised how easy it is to use. So I think what's going on here is that Obama is banking on unemployment falling. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Talk Stream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. You're listening to The Outer Edge Radio with William Michael Mott and Tim Schwartz, only on PSN Radio. Welcome back to The Outer Edge. This is William Michael Mott, Mike to my friends, and less pleasant expletives to my enemies. And I'm here with <laughs> Tim Schwartz, as usual. Yay! And uh, it's uh, the 17th where I am, but it's about to be the 18th. So I am in that transition zone, whereas Tim has already traveled into the future. So he's That's already right. uh, he's already at Monday. So here we are, and we are very pleased to welcome our special guest, Marie D. Jones. Marie, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing just fine. Good, good. Glad uh, to hear it. Well, fantastic uh, that you could be with us tonight, yeah. Marie. I really, oh, really appreciate it. Me. Yeah, you're very <laughs> prolific. We, we're glad to see that you've joined our our uh, our ranks of uh, appearing on Ancient Aliens. <laughs> Every now and then they they throw me in there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, what uh, uh, you might show up? It's, that. But yeah, what was what, for hours and throw you in for seconds, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, they they get their money's worth out of it. And by money's worth, I don't mean what yeah, they pay us, because <laughs> I mean you know, <laughs> the fly, fly, flying you out there and putting you in a hotel and all that stuff because they uh, they make good use of their stuff. Where, I'm, I'm just curious, where did uh, where did you end up taping? You know what? I did two different shows. And one of them, they were here in San Diego. They came here to do a couple of different shows at the uh, Museum of Man, downtown San Diego. They have they had an Egyptology exhibit going on. So they said, you know, would you be willing to drive downtown as opposed to driving two hours up to L.A.? I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> so we literally filmed all day in the basement of the Museum of Man, and it was about 2,000 degrees. Mm. And, I mean, they were just wonderful. We had a blast. The second yeah. time I actually was able to tape with them while I was speaking in Minneapolis at the Paradigm Symposium, they were there to, to uh, tape many of the different speakers. So that worked out really good. Well, that's cool. 
the yeah, first I was time. Team. Yeah, I did their Nostradamus effect show, and they they you right. know I, I drove up to L.A., which is no big deal, and they right. treat you so well. But it's they just do. so funny how long the interviews go, and you answer like two thousand questions, and then you yeah. actually have to wait to see the show to see which of the one question they're yeah. going to put on the well, air. And, you know, they're going to have to cut a little bit of what you say out sometimes, too, because you oh, know, they're, they're wor- under the time constraint and everything. But I was really impressed by the way they, they treated me and and the uh, the questions that they asked during yeah. the two hours. I mean, they were really well thought out questions. Yeah, they do. And so, they really yeah. cover every base so that you're right, because they can yeah. use they can go back later if they have another show topic where, oh, hey, you know, we interviewed Marie and she had something to say about this. So we'll go right, back exactly. and. See what she said. So. And they took me to a really cool place, too. It was a, uh, a place in the desert, uh, a really fancy ranch. I won't necessarily say the name of it here, but just a beautiful place. I mean, it was just, it was worth being there just to see the place. It was gorgeous. Oh, fun. Yeah. 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 Oh, it's nice. But anyway, uh, <laughs> welcome to the show. Yeah, well, thank you. <laughs> we digress, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we digress. Um, so your, your, your latest book... Tell us, tell us a little bit about it. Well, Larry and I have written seven books together. This is our eighth. And we've done a lot. And then I've written a few on my own. And I, right. I do a lot of writing of every sort. And it, we were getting to the point with our nonfiction books where we'd written a lot about the paranormal, metaphysics, ghosts, UFOs, that kind of stuff. And we really wanted to try to branch out. We keep on trying to push the envelope of what we write about. Right. So, this is a, this is stuff we've been interested in for years um, individually, and there was a lot of stuff going on in the media that we were discussing. And this is how a book comes about. We will be in a lot of back and forth discussions, and then we get to the point where it's like, you know what, we should just write a book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and it, we also really, both of us love a good conspiracy, but we wanted to know: is this all conspiracy. I mean, is this just all conspiracy theory and tinfoil hat stuff? What is the truth? What is, you know, how do you separate fact from fiction? And also, we began to look around for a comprehensive book on these subjects. We didn't really find one that was mainstream. We found a lot of books that spoke to maybe one subject in depth or another. So we sort of took it upon ourselves to put together something for the beginning person who might be you know wanting to stare toes in the water with this subject matter but also people that have been interested for a while just to see what's going on now and it, it ended up becoming a very difficult book to research because there's so much out there and having to decide well what do we put in and what do we keep out that was real tough it could have really been two or three books oh easily easily right right <laughs> Now we're talking about the MK Ultra book, right? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, we, that's that's yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, just, I mean, I mean, originally we were just going to write about mind control, but the thing is, right. you can't really talk about that without getting into surveillance, and then you mm-hmm. can't really talk about that without getting into how you know our media is engineered and the news is engineered, and so we decided let's just make it a really broad in scope book mm-hmm. and sort of the history like how long ago was this stuff going on hmm. what's coming in the future 
which, you know, with technology, right. you can't even imagine. So that's kind of how it evolved. It, our books evolved out of long phone discussions, and eventually it's like, let's just write a book about this. Well, now, when uh, when you and Larry uh, uh, write a book together, I mean, uh, how do you do it? Do you do you both take a like a chapter and uh, 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 work on it that way, or just how how do you uh, you know co-write a book? It's well with nonfiction, it's fairly easy. We've gotten into a real groove. Um, although we just had a conversation yesterday where we're going to be taking a much different direction with our writing. Cause you know, you get kind of tired, you get kind of burnt out. Um, but with nonfiction, it's fairly easy. We'll come up with a very detailed outline and we have to provide this to the publisher ahead of time anyway. Mm-hmm. So it's like a chapter by chapter breakdown. This is what's going to be in chapter one. This is what's going to be in chapter two, et cetera, et cetera. That gives us our foundation. And then Larry and I can say, okay, I'm going to take these five chapters. You're going to take these five. And we do our writing, and then we swap. And then that way this, the other person has the opportunity to edit, delete, add, change, alter, and, you know. And then at the end, we go through the whole thing and make sure that it flows. And our writing styles surprisingly um, the very first book we wrote was called 1111 the time prompt phenomena we had no idea if it was this was going to work collaborations are you know oftentimes they fail but our writing styles were so new that you couldn't tell where mine ended and his began and i've writ- written a book with my dad too and that was a little more difficult you could see that there you know you could see the seams because my dad was a scientist so his writing was uh, much more technical. But with Larry, it was awesome. It was like, oh, wow, nobody's going to know who wrote this except for us. <laughs> and there are times that we'll forget who wrote what. So then you, you know, then you have your master manuscript and we do a quick edit. We turn it into the publisher. We were attempting to write our first novel and it's kind of gotten to the point where we're not sure how that's going to work because it's a whole different ballgame. We've written a screenplay together. We're writing another one. That is so much fun and so easy for us to do because we're not in the same, you know, we're, he's in uh, Little Rock, Arkansas. I'm in San Diego. So nonfiction is easy to collaborate on, but even then you have to make sure that the writing between the two people is seamless. Otherwise people say, oh, this is just jerking around from, you know, one style to another, and we just got lucky. Right. Mm. So, so then your your fiction styles are somewhat uh, uh, different. Well, we we come up with great ideas together. The problem with fiction, because I'm now uh, writing a bunch of novels. I started out writing fiction, and then I got into writing screenplays. This is you know way back when I was younger, and I. <laughs> Sort of got sidetracked with the nonfiction about 12 years ago and, mm. you know, never looked back. So a couple of years ago, I signed with a literary manager because I wanted to get back into fiction and film. And I have some TV pitches out because I, I just love the fact that you can write truth in two different ways. And nonfiction, you're writing truth in one way. You're trying to present facts and possible theories and statistics and whatnot. Well, with fiction, you can write truth within the the um, context of a story. 
And Larry and I, again, we wrote a book called Viral Mythology that talks about how there is a lot of truth in myths and stories and folklore and legend. Um, but <laughs> when you write a novel, it, you you can't just say, hey, you do chapter one and I'll do – it doesn't work that way. Right. You're, right. You were just at the point where it's like, you know what, maybe this is something we need to put off till later. Let's yeah. focus on coming up with some TV ideas and um, maybe another screenplay. Right. So. Well, I found, I found, you know, when writing fiction, that you have a general idea. At least this is the way I do it anyway. And you may even have a very definitive idea of what you're going to do, but there are an awful lot of happy surprises that you don't even yes. see coming along the way. They that's sure, hard to, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sure and that's hard to do. When, yeah. <laughs> that's hard to do when you're writing with somebody else. Exactly. Because like you yeah. said, it, it, the coolest moment is when the story takes over and you, right. you, you sort of lift your hands up and you're like, oh boy, <laughs> I'm not writing this anymore. And absolutely. One thing that, you know, we're, we may do is, is try to work out where he's a really good idea person. Now, Larry's biggest problem is his lack of time. He works for the Department of Homeland Security, believe it or not. Mm. Oh, cool. And yeah, which was kind of helpful in writing the book. <laughs> But so his time, I mean, he works really long hours and we just have to, now every project that we're going to work on now, we really have to look at it in the context of what makes the most sense with the time we have. We do have a couple of nonfiction ideas coming, but um, one that we're supposed to write for next year on viruses called bug that, but I, I you know, the fiction we've wanted to tackle for years, but I'm not sure if we're going to be ready for that until we have the ability to really just like get on Skype, you know, and write together at the same time. I don't know how writing teams do it, but I wrote a, a book with my son, a novel. It was based on a, a true story that happened to him. But writing with another adult and really where you're both trying to contribute, that's tough. That's tough. <laughs> Which, uh, uh, by the way, the uh, the spy story that you wrote with your son is oh. is very good. Uh, actually, it's series. <laughs> yeah, we're still hacking away at book two, and um, there'll be a book. There'll be six books. The first three are uh, Echo, and then the second three are called War, a Worldwide Alien Resistance W A R. So. Um, it's it's being pitched to TV and film, and it's just you know it's it's my son's inspiration it inspired the story, I guess you could say. But each consecutive book is going to be more sci-fi and a lot of gaming stuff, and so that's right. been really fun. I got to write a book with my dad. I got to write one with my son. I should ask my brother if he wants to. Write. <laughs> <laughs> now, now the book, the book that you wrote with your Larry, Larry's like my brother, you know, we're like brother and sisters, so I guess that, that counts. But yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of people say, oh, why do you not, why are you not writing paranormal stuff anymore? And it's like, well, you know what? I never was a paranormal writer. I'm a writer. So I'm going to write about anything that fascinates that's right. me. It just so that's happens right. that's one of the big things that fascinates me. <laughs> people, uh, people enjoyed your parent. Oh, okay. Now, now, what would you, what would you consider? What books would you consider then, uh, uh, part of uh, your paranormal writing? Would that uh, be the what uh, science? Well, definitely science. Uh -huh. uh, you know, it's funny because I think a lot of the books that we've written that people wouldn't think are paranormal 
still talk about a lot of concepts that can apply. Um, Deja Vu Enigma, big time. We really get into that book heavily, the, the, the power of the mind, the power of belief, and the power of suggestion. Right. You know, can you create paranormal phenomenon just from your expectation of it? And how much do we have as human beings to do with the manifestation of paranormal phenomenon? Definitely the grid. The grid is probably the most. Um, the resonance key, we introduced the subject of resonance, sound, vibration, frequency, all of that, how it relates to the paranormal. That book went over, I think, a lot of people's heads because they didn't know that it was a paranormal book. <laughs> uh, what else have we written? So those mainly, but even, um, you know, I mean, in every book that we write, we try to, we try to talk about that the fact that there are other realities. Oh, definitely, like this book is from the future, which is about time travel, but we get heavily into parallel universes and alternate realities and timelines, right? which goes back to things that we've written about in the grid and deja vu enigma, where maybe deja vu is an experience of ourselves in another an alternate reality or an alternate timeline. So it all kind of see to us, Paranormal doesn't just mean ghosts. I mean, I right. think there's a lot of people in the field that you say the word paranormal and they automatically think ghosts. Right. Uh, that's always been really frustrating to well, me. Well, you know, uh, that, that's it, it's, it's funny because a few years back, I, I came up with a Kindle, a short book, admittedly, sort of a treatise, and Tim actually wrote the afterword for that. Uh, it's called the, the Problem of Density in, in Regard to Non-Human Encounters, and it looks at all these things from, from a quantum physics point of view. Right, exactly. Uh, potential, uh, what is potentially real becomes real, even if it's temporary. Uh, it reacts to our expectations, just like the Heisenberg uncertainty principle. Exactly. And, and uh, you know, the thing is that all these things that we call paranormal are really part of reality. It's just that they're a part of reality that we cannot at this point comprehend or, or, or right. we're, just be, we're just beginning to comprehend. <clears throat> so, yeah, I think that, that so-called supernatural things are part of it. You know, they're, they're part of this universe, um, exactly. whether it's seen or seen or unseen, yeah. um, you know, or maybe maybe I should say part of the, part of the, the quantum the multiverse. Uh, mu- multiverse. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say the, the quantum multiverse. Yeah. Um, Sort of the melange there, but yeah, it, it's uh, we're just now starting to see it. Now I just have to wonder if we will destroy ourselves before we figure it out. Oh, probably, mm. but <laughs> no, I, I don't, you know, as, as much as there are a lot of dumbasses out there, yeah. oh yeah, there are enough people that you know know how to rein things. But I, well, in ter- if you're talking like in terms of the experimentation with the the large hadron collider and oh right. my god we're gonna you know what we might but i like to think that they those men and women kind of know what they're doing i and, don't think they do but that's yeah. <laughs> I, I've, written, I've, written, I've written about that my dad, my dad was a geophysicist look they've even said they've even yeah. admitted, we don't know what's going to happen in this cool this could happen you know could what? this happen well, yeah that could happen but they'll say yeah, you know, that could happen but you know they don't have a clue you know what? Each of us individually could could get hit by a bus tomorrow. Yeah. So there's so many things in life we can't, we don't know. We can't really live live that way. I, I, don't, I, think I don't think human curiosity. Can, you know, I, it's a yeah. power and a deny but it. I, 
I don't think that that particular group of people has the right to make potentially world-shattering, literally, decisions without everybody getting a vote. I don't know. I don't know if I agree because, again, my, I've you know been around scientists all my life, geophysicists, I mean, yeah, astrophysicists, <laughs> and they do have some level of knowledge of what is possible um, because well, it's been so difficult to recreate. Right, but you, you know, know the, the it, moment of the, creation, um, right. and a, a wonderful book that people should read, Doctor uh, Sir Martin Rees, who was the Royal Astronomer to the United Kingdom, was uh, uh, I just completely blanked on the title. Oh, don't you God. hate that? Oh my gosh! Yeah. Well, anyway, if you look him up on Amazon, he wrote a book um, many years ago that I was one of my Bibles, where he talks about some of the dangers. of science and ability that in one of these experiments they might find what's called a strange lit right mm, exactly you heard about That's strange lit okay, oh yeah, so yeah a strange lit is basically could wipe out all of existence in a matter of seconds yeah it could, but, it could convert it could basically convert the earth into a neutron star right I mean, it, yeah but, but it's theoretical and so for like right. a year after i read that book i was you know nervous and on edge and i thought you know this is ridiculous my well, it's just one of many things heart that attack are probably way bigger than right right so you kind of well, keep it in perspective well, understand this too though i mean there are several things that could theoretically happen you know the whole experiment was based on the assumption that Stephen Hawking's theories on on uh, uh, evaporation of many black holes was accurate. Well, once they started building this thing and they started talking about ramping it up and, and trying to create many black holes, because that's basically the basis of what of all the stuff that they're doing. Hawking changed his mind. He said, "Hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. I was wrong. I think I was that's wrong. Nice. I think I miscalculated." <laughs> but then they went ahead and did it anyway. Okay. Well, well, well. Here's here's the problem. <laughs> When you're dealing with quantum physics, anything that you can't imagine can happen just as a result of being imagined. That's been proven. Again, Heisenberg Uncertainty Principle showed that. Well, absolutely. On the quantum level. If if it's applicable at the classic level of of physics, you know, the the grander scale. Sure. Well, sure. Really? Do you really think that? You were were talking earlier about deja vu. Deja vu. Uh-huh. Uh, clairv- clairvoyance, all these things are probably quantum phenomena. Oh, I'm that's sure probably what they are. So, yes, that's on a larger scale. Now, the question is, how likely is it that what they're doing there will affect physical reality? We don't know that yet. Um, you know, if they manage to create many black holes and if Hawking is right they've already been creating them and they're not evaporating well if they're not evaporating what's happening to them well they're going to fall to the center of the planet where they will congregate together and then they will very slowly at first start accreting mass it may take a hundred years three hundred years a thousand years we don't know it's simple we don't know so everything may seem fine but then again you know, we we do have a lot of strange anomalies going on with the electromagnetic field right now, other things that we haven't seen before. So we really don't know if they've already caused a problem or not. You By know, that uh, same theory, though, every move that any human being right. on this planet or any living thing really makes could affect the outcome of the future and does. And so mm-hmm. it's kind of hard to apply what happens in the quantum world. I mean, we like to theorize about can we... Yeah. Now, can we extrapolate this to the right. bigger scale? But 
Well, what happened yeah, when we split, I mean, what what happens when we split an atom? They haven't killed us all, <laughs> and I'm much more, much more afraid of my fellow human beings. Yeah. Well, you're talking things. about the, the, the quantum level, or, or cl- <laughs> close to the quantum level, close to the quantum level. What happens when we split atoms? Well, you know, we human beings have to figure <laughs> out how things work. We have, oh, we have to, to figure out, figure out things up. We've got to play God. We have to. Yeah, become exactly. the creators and the destroyers because we're exactly. so arrogant. We can't leave well Eric, enough alone. That's exactly right. That's <laughs> my point. It's almost a Luciferian level of arrogance. We will be gods. We will, you know. Uh, you yeah, will master nature. Yeah. Yes. How's that working yeah. for you, as Dr. Phil yeah. might say, you know? That's right. That's right. We all want to see some of those questions answered, but we also don't want to kill ourselves getting that's them right. answered, you know? We don't want every little two-year-old on the planet to be evaporated, turned into gray goo. So, yeah. Um, but, <laughs> but, but anyway, uh, I'm going to ask you. Wait, on, we got your, deep into this, huh? Yeah, on, 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 your, uh, on your book, in your book on uh, mind control, did you interview people that had been victims or participants in MK Ultra? Yes, and it's very, very difficult to do things like that. We also talked to people that have been in cults and um. What's really and this and this I throw back to my all the years I spent uh, in you in the UFO field where you're talking with alleged abductees. It's really really tough to discern when someone is telling you something that actually happened the way that they remember it, and it could have been thirty forty years ago. In the case of MK Ultra, it was quite a while ago. Um, are they making it up? Are they misinterpreting something that happened because they later heard about the, this program and they applied their memories to right. fit the mold? It's so tough to do. So we, we kind of featured some of the, the people that we had heard through the grapevine were probably the most credible. Uh, the people that I talked to that were in cults were all people that I knew very well. Right. Um, and one of them who had recently broken away from his brother's cult. It's tough. And some of the targeted individuals, it's like, okay, we have to present this. We're not gonna we're gonna try not to judge because they could be telling the absolute truth of what is happening to them. We're not gonna say nothing happened. Could they be misinterpreting it? Absolutely. There's no proof. My feeling is you know, if you're going to make extraordinary claims, you have to have extraordinary evidence to prove it. But right. sometimes with the manipulation of the mind, that's right. almost impossible. Think about somebody who is in one of the big cults. That, you know, a, we I talked to a woman who was um, part of a Jim Jones cult in Guyana. Mm. She actually escaped before the suicides. Now... You know, she she had all the history. She had pictures and everything else. I was not able to meet with her in person because she was going on a book tour. She wrote a book about uh, her memoirs and um, very credible. Okay, but then we have then I have people emailing me. I'm a targeted individual, and you know, 25 page emails about all the ways that this person is being harassed by their ex husband. And I know that I'm MK Ultra, and I'm thinking, well, you haven't said anything in this 25-page email, right? To make me think 
that you're talking about a mind, you know, that you were a victim of mind control experimentation. You're basically talking about an abusive husband. That kind of thing. It's a lot of discernment. And in a lot of our books, we interview people, whether it's our book on deja vu and, and the power of the mind or the 11-11 time prompt, because we like to hear from people that have actually experienced some of the stuff that we're writing uh, right. you know, we're writing about, but this was probably the hardest one to, yeah, I mean, you know, nowhere are we able to come out and say this person absolutely for sure had documentation and cause that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. But we do have articles that are very traumatized still, um, that have solid memories that have names I had one gal that was giving me names, locations, dates. Yeah, yeah. And I was able to go corroborate those with a really good friend of mine who's an expert in MKUltra. And, you know, it was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And the funny thing was, a lot of the stuff that was happening to her in the nineteen early 1960s into the later 1960s was happening at the same place that I grew up in as a child. Wow, a very small weird. town in New York. That was creepy. <laughs> well, Marie, I, I'll tell you, I several years back, I, I was dealing with different people doing uh, graphics for them and covers and stuff. And I have actually talked to a couple of people who claim they were uh, victims of, of MKUltra. Uh, both of them were ladies. Both of them have books out about it, um, or even more than one book. And what always struck me about it was... It was all 100% subjective. There were Absolutely. no photographs of anything, no videotapes, no written statements from anybody else. It was always, and, 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 and it was, it was like, okay, everybody from Gerald Ford to Boxcar Willie and Chris Christopherson yeah, were somehow exactly. part of the conspiracy. Exactly. And they were all sex slavers for the CIA and all this stuff. And, you know, it was basically, it, it literally was absurd. And it, it reached the level of, okay, I can see this maybe happening with these people, but all these celebrities and, 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 and politicians and every person – any person you could name to them, oh yeah, he's on. It's he's part in on of it the too. Illuminati or yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it yeah. reaches a point of just being ludicrous. Did you did you run into that? Oh, absolutely. And I think a couple of the books that we, you know, we're asking people read, decide for yourself. Here's a problem though: when you're dealing with what happened with MK Ultra that we do know about from the documents that were released through the Freedom of Information Act, unfortunately, eighty percent of the documents were destroyed. But what we do know is that there was an awful lot of very destructive and abusive experimentation done on memory, you know, the mind, the ability of the brain to function. So some of these people may very well have been programmed, kind of like when you're in a cult, to be paranoid, to to look, to see evil everywhere, to, to, and, and also the idea of, misinformation campaigns and disinformation campaigns where these people very well may have been victims of some experimentation, but what was programmed into their subconscious was a lot of mumbo jumbo. They would later talk about and discredit themselves in the process. 
Right. And that so you think they, they may have been fed false memories in some way? I think in some cases. I think in, in some cases we're talking about people that maybe have mental illnesses. I think in some cases, and this was certainly true, I got so many emails, and I was able to start reading them and saying, okay, you know, I don't know about this. This one, ooh, this, this one is a little different. Let, let me talk to this person. But I had one email, and I'll never say names, you know. Um, she had been sexually abused as a child, and the, it sounded to me, and I am not a psychologist, but just reading the context of her communications with me sounded like she took what happened to her many, many years ago, heard about MK Ultra and the fact that there was a lot of sexual abuse, there was a lot of psychological abuse, and children were often victimized because they have the most malleable brains. And she applied her situation to that. It may have been a way for her to deal with what happened to her. Maybe she wanted the attention. Maybe she was just so mixed up and really needed to see a therapist. So there's that aspect of it, too. Are you applying? So let's say, for example, I had a dream when I was seven years old. And I remember this. I remember every aspect of this dream and I saw an alien gray and I was really you know this is back in the 60s before a lot of this exploded I am that old um, <laughs> I remember seeing an, a little gray alien looking through my garage the garage door window of the house that we lived in in New York at the time and I ran screaming across the street okay now I've had millions of dreams since then but I remember that one as if it really happened Right. So later, you know, I become hugely obsessed with UFOs and I'm involved with MUFON for 15 years and I'm writing books about it. You do not know how many times I have thought back to that quote-unquote dream and wondered if I misinterpreted a real event. Hmm. Or was it just a dream and I'm just thinking, you know, my mind is just not remembering correctly. So that's that's what we're dealing with. Right. Now, MK Ultra happened a long time ago. So if anybody tells you they were victims 10 years ago, they were not victims of MK Ultra. Maybe some other weird program, but it wasn't, you know, officially MK Ultra ended in the early 1970s. Now, do we think our government stopped doing any of that, of that kind of experimentation? No, absolutely not. They just went deeper underground, and they had smaller programs, and they renamed everything. Um, but MK Ultra has almost become fashionable the way that alien abductions did for the last few decades. It almost became cool to say, I was abducted by aliens, or I'm a victim of MK Ultra, and that's where we get into some real sticky ground. Marie, let's take a step back here for uh, those of our audience who may not be familiar with MK, MK Ultra. Why don't you uh, tell us just exactly uh, what MK Ultra was? Uh, and I know, I mean, that, that we could do the entire show just on that alone. I but know. you know, yeah, just just kind of give us a condensed <clears throat> version of the, the uh, Reader's uh, Digest Ultra. version. <laughs> there you go. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, people say mind control. Oh, it's just conspiracy. It's never really happened. Well, that's not true. There's a lot of we know that our uh, during the Korean War that our POWs were brainwashed, and that actually led to the formation of a what eventually became a CIA-backed and supervised 
government mind control program because we wanted to know what was happening to our POWs when they were being brainwashed. How could we unbrainwash them? And can we brainwash our own enemies? Those really were the motives behind the formation of MK Ultra. So it began in the early 1950s and it ran through the early, maybe you know, 1974, 1975, when there were a couple of um, congressional committee hearings that really kind of blew the lid off of what was going on and, and, and officially ended the program. But just to give you an idea of the scope of the size, MKUltra involved over 80 different institutions, and that included colleges, university research centers, orphanages, prisons, mental institutions, homes for unwed mothers. No, I'm probably leaving something out. <clears throat> anyway, <clears throat> there were associated projects that were part of the MKUltra banner, the goal of which for all of them was to see literally how far you could destroy, alter, and, and rebuild the human mind. And the purpose of doing it was for any kind of covert operation you could think of, spying, creating assassins, um, getting into enemy territory and getting information. And the idea really was to break down the personality and recreate alternate personalities in these victims that each were programmed to do a very specific job. But didn't each alter personality did not know what the other one was doing. And that way, you could take a human being and you could make them go become a drug mule and get some drugs across the border, or you could have them assassinate someone. They are pre-programmed using a number of techniques, everything from hypnosis to drugs to uh, deprivation and types of torture, psychological abuse. They're programmed to forget what they did as soon as they do it. So that way, if they're ever caught behind enemy lines, they're not going to be able to cough up any information. I mean, it really sounds like the perfect way to create a super spy or a super soldier. The only problem is, you know, you're dealing with human beings and we don't still don't even understand everything about human memory and long-term memory and short-term memory and all of that. So I started having a lot of victims who were remembering. There were also programs whereby you would go out and do your job and then you would commit suicide. And that's a surefire way of making sure that you can't tell. Some of the experiments were a little less severe, a little less extreme. They involved everything from testing drugs that would potentially become used for Alzheimer's to trying different types of antidepressants, uh, anxiety drugs, different hallucinogenic drugs, um, psychological tests to see how far people would go abusing other human beings, abusing animals. There's a whole lot of stuff that happened under MKUltra. And a lot of it, unfortunately, had its foundation in the Nazi torture programs that came over here with Operation Paperclip after right. the Second World War. It was really such a, I like to say, it, just such a heinous black mark on the history of the United States. But it's not the only one, as you guys know. But it also gave us a space program. So <laughs> Yeah, it, it's crazy because really in 1973, most of the MKUltra documents were destroyed by Richard Helms, who was the, the then CIA director. 
But several years later, there were a number of documents, I think almost as many as 20,000, that were found. And what they said was just absolutely mind-blowing, pun intended. So you can imagine what was documented in the stuff that, that was destroyed. It just... You know, I, I can I can I hate to say this, but I can see a little bit of the beginning motivation of a program like this, where you're saying, "Okay, look, our, our soldiers are being kidnapped, they're being abused, tortured, and brainwashed. We need to understand how this works." To to then take that and extrapolate that into a program where you are doing those very same things on innocent people, that's where you know. That's where the problems occur. It's just the most unethical program that I think, you know, at least one of them or ones that we know about that our government has been involved in. Whether or well, not it had a, a basis for, you know, the, the origin of it had a, a positive benefit to our POWs or not, they took it way too far. Oh, yeah. Well, and MK Ultra, I mean, that was just kind of like the... Uh, uh, the the umbrella operation yeah. because there was all kinds of different uh, you know like uh, uh, side shoots you know uh, yeah. coming off of it. The- Bluebird and Artichoke. There were some that were very specifically involved with um, deprivation uh, of t- young women or young men. You know, again, young people are, are great test subjects for all kinds of things. The pharmaceutical industry loves to test their new vaccines and drugs on young people. Um, There was Project Chatter, and like I said, just because MKUltra was shut down officially, we all know that word is meaningless, officially. It just means that, you know, you guys need to, whatever you're going to do, go do it deeper underground (laughs) with, what do you call the black budget money. It's just insane to think that this stopped. Now with the technology that we have access to, and I would say probably we're only aware of a very small percentage of the technology that's available to, that's out there, you know, that the government and military are experimenting with. We have new ways of doing these things. We don't need to, to go to uh, an orphanage anymore unless we're going to test a pharmaceutical on them. And that does still happen. But now if we want to learn how to do our best damage uh, on the battlefield, We have all kinds of non-lethal weapons. We have sonic weapons. We have heat weapons. You know, we have microwave pulse weapons. So we've sort of evolved out of the need for a lot of this. Well, at least in terms of what our own government and the military are doing. Now they're on, they've moved on to more sinister stuff. Well, you know, one thing that they do, and this, this goes back, you know, all the way to the Tuskegee Airmen and and others, they, 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 the, the government, and not just our government, all governments, see military personnel as guinea pigs for anything they want to do, whether they like it or not, whether they know about it or not. And that's why I think a lot of the MK Ultra stories that are most credible seem to come from people whose families in some way had a connection to, to the, military. Uh, the military or, or to military intelligence, things like that. And so because they, somebody somewhere looks at those people as a pool to draw from for yeah, these types like of things. Prisons. Now, you know, here, sure. <laughs> but the, the, the thing is, though, okay, let's say that they do say that about people that sign 
on the dotted line, which obviously is still wrong. Okay, it's wrong. But then they extrapolate that to the children of those people. To me, that is criminal beyond any excusing whatsoever under any conditions. But apparently, that is to some extent, that's what was going on. Yeah, and I mean, we have a long history in this country of using mental institutions and orphanages for um, for guinea pigs, mainly for corporate purposes, again, for testing new drugs on pharmaceuticals. You know, Big Pharma, they are, to me, just as guilty of a lot of this type of experimentation as the, you know, the government was with the MKUltra banner. With pharmaceutical companies, we even go to other countries and test on the poor. (laughs) We test our vaccines on the poor in India. And this is all fact. Most people are not aware of this. So to think that this is not going on or that it just stopped, no, I think it's morphed into other things. But I love the point that you brought up about Having, you know, when you talk about targeted individuals who claim that they're part of, that they were victims or still are, I love that you brought up the fact that when there is a valid connection, for example, if you're a whistleblower, uh, you worked at a big corporation and you found out that they were lying about uh, drug evidence or whatever, or if you or someone in your family was part of a military uh the military or a government agency that had a direct link to this this program, I am going to give you much more credibility than someone who has no connections. However, I had a couple of TIs say to me, I don't have any connections to anything, but what makes you think they're not doing stuff to people just in general as guinea pigs? I mean, who else are they going to test these new technologies on? And they were talking more about some of the electronic harassment rather than the MK Ultra, And I thought, you know what, that's a really good point. Look at the way that we test on lab animals. Are we now being chosen at random to become lab animals to some ex- weird experimentation? It is so hard to know what the truth is. Yeah, it really is. Well, Ed, um, I think a lot of skeptics of this, the all of this, claim that there is no real proof other than the surviving papers you know that have been un- un- uncovered and uh, but we we do know that there are some individuals um, i'm thinking of a, a gentleman in particular who um uh lived in sweden that uh, he he always said that when he was a kid uh, he had to have surgery and they implanted uh, a, a device in his brain, right? Like and, and, yeah. Yes, and and has the X-rays taken as, as he grew older to prove it? And, and see, uh, well, what gets me about a lot of that stuff? A lot of those claims about implants like that precede the supposed existence of microprocessors. Yes, you know, of any significant power. So, where did they get the technology to do that? Right. Mm-hmm. And if mm-hmm. we can see the chips, and if we can. See- the x-rays it, it helps and we still don't and know exactly where that came from or when the person actually got it i had one woman tell me she had all these surgeries to remove nine different chips from her daughter well i'm thinking can i see this the 
proof that you have these surgeries? Can I see what the surgeon said? Can I see pictures of the implants? No, no, I don't need to make that public. And I'm thinking, well, then I'm sorry, but yeah, <laughs> it's not that I don't believe you. Maybe you're afraid and you're telling me the truth, but what do you want me to do with this? If you can't give me something, <laughs> you know, and, and but that is that's a problem. I mean, if you think about the scope of MK Ultra, you're not going to they're not going to want a lot of physical evidence left behind for somebody yeah. to later say, look, and I know in these committee these uh, the church committee hearings, you know, the, some of the doctors that were involved, some of the researchers and psychologists were put on the stand and they admitted to what they were doing. We have that testimony. But there are still going to be people who are not going to take anything as proof because they weren't there and we don't have anything physical to show them other than the the declassified documents. But I have heard so many people say that they were implanted with things. And my feeling is you have got to prove it. Have it removed, show the surgery, get a, a letter from your surgeon saying, I did this surgery, get that chip analyzed by somebody who is... Some in some ways credible. I don't know, even know where you would find someone, but you can't make claims like that and then just kind of leave it up in the air. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, and I think that's one of the that's one of the things that that really uh, falls into the favor of the people who um, masterminded all of this. Because I mean, it's uh, face it, that is a classic. Um, mental aberration of of some people saying that they are being bombarded by rays from the government you know there yeah. are voices voices telling them you know from you know from the president to do to do these you know these kinds of things so i mean what better way to cover your tracks yes you know <laughs> say that the person is paranoid delusional and crazy there you go you just discredited them and yeah what if you guys seen the movie Conspiracy Theory with Mel Gibson and Julia yes. Roberts? I, I mean, I love that movie. I think that movie does a great job of showing that the, the paranoia and also how Mel Gibson's character would immediately, to me, be perceived as crazy. And yet, it, you know, it was very well written because it, it was sort of a classic example of someone having these sort of flashback memories of what happened to them. And, and yeah, nobody wants to leave a trail of the evil that they've done. So they're going to clean up the, their tracks as best they can. And then we're left to try to properly interpret the subjective um, evidence, if you want to, or the circumstantial evidence, if you want to call it that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's where this- And I think the UFO abduction field has so many parallels with this. Right. You have people you should- that are. Do you see an overlap between mind control, as in my labs type stuff, and, yeah, and, yeah, and UFOs? I'm not saying that there's no such thing as an actual UFO, you know, physical case, but it does right. sound really interesting that a lot of the same techniques and the same outcomes seem to fit the abduction scenario. And again, it could have, they could have done this on purpose to discredit people who really have had a, a, an actual abduction, make them sound crazy, make them paranoid. Um, I mean, I can't even imagine the sinister 
agendas, you know, on these people's minds. They probably had it all plotted out. And there was some connection with the UFO phenomenon and MKUltra. And that they were trying to find a way to fabricate UFO sightings and UFO events in the minds of large groups of people. And that's to me is fascinating. And, you know, you think about the holographic projections, like people that went and saw, what was it, Michael? No, Tup, was it Tupac? Shakur, where they had the hologram of him doing yeah, the concert. Yeah, yeah. I think yes. it went a Michael. Okay, so <clears throat> imagine somebody who doesn't know anything about holograms or science or anything. You get somebody out of an Amazonian tribe, and they see that. They're going to have a much different reality of what that means to them than some of us who knew what was going on. And I think that there's a lot of that kind of mental manipulation that is possible where they can project events, project phenomena. And I know that they're testing it because I've seen some news stories recently of three-dimensional objects being projected into the sky. Lovely. Um, but I, but that doesn't discount the many UFO sightings that really have a lot of meat to them, the physical trace cases. And, and not every abduction scenario, of course, is somebody lying or misinterpreting what happened to them. I think that the same thing goes for people who claim to be under mind control. Some are. Some may just have schizophrenia. Yeah. Yep, that's true. Now, you mentioned uh, uh, earlier in this conversation uh, targeted individuals. Uh, uh, Can you tell us just exactly uh, uh, what that term means? Yeah, I had no idea this was going on. And, you know, I like to think I know a lot about what's going on out there. But, again, when we were starting to write the book and research it, and I had a lot of help from um, a gentleman named Ron Patton who runs Paranoia Magazine and The Conspira Zone. And he's been uh, sort of an MK Ultra whiz for years, just really getting into the meat of it. And, you know, he was sort of saying to me, okay, make sure that you look into some of these different things that, that are out there. And one of them was TIs, targeted individuals. These are people who claim, and they may or may not have anything to do with MKUltra. This could be a whole separate thing. They're literally claiming that they're being uh, attacked with or harassed with different types of weapons. It could be microwave. It could be electronic there is a technology that absolutely blew my mind called V2K, Voice to Skull. Mm-hmm. Their sounds and words and actual phrases can be projected into your brain from a remote location. And it is patented technology that started back in the early 1960s and, gosh, by now is probably so perfected that it makes me wonder if half the voices in my head are my <laughs> Uh, it was mind-blowing. I was like, are you serious? This is science fiction stuff. So apparently you have a lot of individuals who are claiming to hear voices, conversations in their head. Um, they are having issues with skin problems and health problems that they feel are coming from microwave harassment. They are experiencing what's called gang stalking, where they are followed by groups of people that uh, call out their name or, you know, shout out something very personal about them. It's almost like they're, it's almost like when you're being stalked by an ex, uh, but a bunch of them 
all this different, almost like street theater. They have their homes broken into, but nothing is ever stolen. So there's all these fear tactics involved. Some of these targeted individuals know why they're being targeted. They're whistleblowers. They have military connections. They have government connections. A lot of them have no idea. And again, that was a conversation I had with someone saying, you don't know if we are just guinea pigs for new technologies that are being tried out by the government. And I said, you know what? You're absolutely right. I don't know that. Um, so uh, I don't know if you want me to continue. You guys want to take a break? Well, you know, actually, this this would be a good time. Uh, we're, we're, we're right at that uh, uh, period. So keep that thought in mind, though. I uh, because I, I want to – this 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 is absolutely yeah, fascinating is because yeah. – yeah. Well, I mean, and I, I have interviewed some people myself who oh, have uh, claimed, uh, yeah, you know, to I'm have had this separate. happen to them. Um, All right. So let's, uh, let's go ahead and go to our break. Uh, we are talking today with Marie D. Jones, uh, about her book, uh, Mind Wars. You're listening to The Outer Edge. I'm Tim Swartz with Mike Mutt. This is on the PSN radio network, of course. We will be right back and so stay tuned for more interesting stuff. It is about the implementation of the mark of the beast. I spoke to you about that, I think, two weeks ago. We addressed Revelation chapter 13, verses 16, 17, and 18. And he calls it all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hands, or in their foreheads, that no man might buy or sell, say he had the mark or the name or the number of the beast. Here is wisdom. Let him that have understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is six hundred three score and Hi, I'm LeVar Burton, and I'm proud to be a book person. How do I choose a book? Sometimes it's the cover, sometimes it's the title. I guess I'm pretty visual. If a book's really impressing me and the writing is really good, I will peek and see what the last paragraph is, because the endings of books should rock you. I am a book person, and if you're a book person, too, read to a child and spark a lifetime of ambition. Join me at bookpeopleunite.org because reading is fundamental. A public service announcement brought to you by Reading is Fundamental, Library of Congress, and the Ad Council. We're rewarding you for something you already do, listening to us. It's Radio Loyalty, and it's an easy way for you to get free stuff. All you do is sign up. Go ahead and click the banner now. You'll earn points as you listen, points you can trade in for great products and services in the Radio Loyalty store. You can earn even more points when you share your favorite station with friends on Facebook and Twitter. Radio Loyalty, it's free to sign up, so click the banner to join now. Driving has a rhythm all its own. Don't wreck it with a text. Before you get behind the wheel, silence your phone. Or better yet, designate a texter. For more text-free driving tips, visit StopTextStopRex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Green light. Hey girl, school zone. I'm getting hungry. Car changing lanes. You want to meet me for pizza? Stop sign. Intersection clear. Yeah, street. Pizza sounds good. Ball in street? Girl in street! <gasps> it's hard to concentrate on two things at once, like texting and driving. Stop the text, stop the wrecks. How will you stop texting and driving? Tell us at stoptextstoprex.org. 
Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. So, Jacqueline. Yes, Mom? I wanted to talk to you about something and... Oh, wait. Hold on. I just got a text. Oh, there's another one. Wow. Busy, busy me. So, anyway... Oh, wait, Mom. I just got a message. My friends keep commenting on my comment. Oh, there's another one. So many comments on my comment. Oh, I can't wait to watch TV tonight. Playoffs! Hey, guys, check out my new video game. Wait, wait, mom, what? Huh? What? Hold What'd on. What'd you say? Wait a sec, huh? This weekend, unplug. Take your family to the forest. There's nothing in the world like experiencing nature firsthand. Trees, paths, bluebirds, streams. Getting closer to nature can get you closer to your family. To find the forest nearest you, go to discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Just uh, just we're playing a little bit of uh, your daughter singing uh, "Lay Low." I love that song. She's she's got a really good voice. Yeah, she does. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'll nice. tell her you said so. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's uh, it's always. I, I tell you something. I I love the music that we have available to us um, on this show. I mean, we 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 really get some some very yeah, good, very and, and unique music as well that you're uh you're not going to hear any place else except true. on the outer edge <laughs> <laughs> all right well uh, marie let's continue um our conversation here now we were talking about um targeted individuals and gang stalking and um i'll, I'll tell you just really quick a uh, uh a, a person who who came to me one time because they knew of my interest in this kind of stuff. They didn't realize that, that I was a writer. They just knew that uh, um, from mutual friends that I was interested in this stuff. And this was a gentleman who used to work um, for the military. And I'm not going to say who, but he, he actually he worked in uh, the finance division. That uh, it was uh, the, this place's job to send checks out, you know, to everybody every week, and he ended up quitting. He got he he, he got angry uh, uh, with his supervisor and left. And I mean, and he'd been working there for you know years and years. And he said that shortly thereafter, um, he started being targeted by people who would uh, 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 call him on the phone, uh, uh, you know, say like just, you know, like a few uh, cryptic statements, you know, we're, watch- we're watching you or, or um, play back conversations that he had had on the phone with somebody else earlier in the week. 
you know, uh, to to show that his uh, uh, right. phone right. phone was being tapped. Um, he would see uh, the same car driving back and forth in front of his house, you know, for a couple of days, and then it would re- be replaced by a different car driving back and forth in front of his house. He said that uh, the rental house across the street, the the people who had lived there for years suddenly moved out, and that. Um, uh, it, it was empty, but he said that there were, um, he said, he called them rays, microwaves, right. that were being, be, beamed at him from this, this house. Now, I will tell you that, uh, after, after all this, uh, was said and done, um, I actually went to this house and uh it was it was empty but you could tell that somebody had been living there and the room that was that faced his house there was a section of the rug now this is, this could have been coincidence there was a section of the rug and the curtain that faced his house looked like that it had been burnt huh yeah, and uh, and this and, and and this, I mean, this you know, this is a, this continued for for quite a long time, and and you know, and I asked him, I said, well, why do you think this is going on with you? And he said, I have no idea. He says, all I did was quit my job. You so, know? what what was the, what was the nature of the effect that these rays were having on him? Well, he said, and and he said that first of all, it would make him. Uh, and he could, t- he said he could tell what, when it happened because all of a sudden he would just get hot. And that's what, that's the way, and he, and, yeah. yeah, well, and yeah. he said he felt like that there was like, uh, pinpricks all over his body. And, and, and he said that it, uh, he felt like it was, um, it, it could be, uh, narrowed and widened because there were times he said he felt like right. his hair, his hair was burning. And other times, um, you know, it, it would, it would cover his entire body. And I will have right. to admit, I mean, he had some, like some, some strained sores and rashes on his body at various right. places, you know. And it was just, 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 and his mail was tampered with. Uh, and, you know, and, and all of these things, I mean, because we know that, um, people can be, you know, watched and under surveillance and never oh, know it. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And yeah, all of this, like they wanted to to scare him, like a scare tactic. That's what it sounds like, intimidation. Yeah. In, yeah. Yes, intimidation. Exactly. Intimidate. There is the word. Thank you. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes. But he didn't know why. He never could come up with a good explanation. And did he it said, just end, or is it? Just... It. It just ended. That's it. That's it exactly. Wow. It. It just one day everything was done. And that's, and that's, you know, I mean, uh, uh, and he had been talking to me about it for, you know, like a couple of months when it suddenly just ended, you know, and, uh, and he, he, he called me up and he says, you know, it's been a week now and nothing's happened. What's going on? <laughs> he was more afraid at that point. Right. That he was, had been. Yeah, that would kind of yes. freak me out. It's like, oh no, what is the next, what do they kick it up a notch? And Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That is so, really creepy. But yeah. He, well, but he did have... A connection to uh-huh. what something that there could have been a motive in there, but he himself didn't know of anything. I mean, was it the kind of thing where he was he left the job and maybe they thought he had information that he was going to make public? 
You know, I I don't I don't think so because he was just I mean he he was he was an accountant just what he was. Yeah, you know? I, I think it was we can do this to you and look what we can do and you better yeah. keep your mouth shut. shut he, but why? He may have known something. He may have. Yeah, he huh. may have been exposed to something and not even known. Yeah, what that's he, that's yeah. a good point. He might have seen mm-hmm. something on the books that maybe exactly. exactly. That like, is really scary. Yeah. And you know, I I I hearken back to when uh, when I left the UFO field. It was because of phone harassment like that. I had some, and I and this is a story that I finally told just a couple of years ago to Nick Redfern when he was writing his Men in Black book. I told him the story, and I said, I don't think that's Men in Black, though. And he said, oh, my God, that is classic. Yeah. Um, I, oh, well, you, ha- you have to tell us, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, and, and it, I never put two and two together until later. I was involved in uh, MUFON. Uh, I started an organization in uh, San- northern San Diego County with a gal who was allegedly her whole family were repeated abductees, and and I and I will say that I know that they that something was happening to them because I saw some of the harassment that they were undergoing, very similar to what you were talking about. Um, but this was at the heyday of when the abduction phenomenon was rising. It, it was, it, it had not been, it was during the 1980s and into the 1990s, it had not quite gone viral yet. So we were one of the few groups that were getting abductees sent to us because we had access to someone who had been trained in uh, the type of hypno- hypnotic regression that was that's now sort of standard. Well, at the time, we had no idea what was going on. Here were these people coming to us claiming to be abductees. We were not equipped to deal with this psychologically. We didn't know what to do to help these people. Some of them were terrified. Some were very vocal and open. And I, you know, I think we tagged them pretty early on as just attention seekers. Others were terrified. They had marks on their skin. They were. Uh, lost their jobs. They were, you know, practically in the hospital with anxiety disorders. There was a lot of really creepy stuff going on. So we started to work with some of these people that were being trained. At the time, they were being trained by Bud Hopkins. And we were just kind of, you know, going about our business. We had one case come to us of a gentleman who often did deliveries for the military. And he had been experiencing abductions on the property of Camp Pendleton. And I live really close. I'm like 20 miles, 20 minutes to the south, not even 10 uh, of Camp Pendleton. And um, he'd had some really, really freaky, not standard by the book abduction things happen. Okay. So anyway, we didn't know what to do. We felt he was credible. We were trying to get him help. It was at that time, that my friend, who I started the group with, her home was being broken into. She caught uh, men on her property with shotguns several times. The police were called out. You know, I witnessed a lot of what was going on because we had our meetings at her home. All this craziness. I start getting phone calls. This is before cell phones. This is before caller ID. Okay? Mm-hmm. So I had no way of knowing who was doing this to me. And you couldn't trace a phone call without calling the phone company. So I start getting these phone calls telling me 
I know what you're doing right now. You're wearing a red top. You're lying on the bed and you're reading a mag- this such and such magazine. Yeah. And it was like, okay. And the voice was robotic. So in other words, whoever was talking was talking through some kind of voice changer thing. Mm-hmm. Which my son later, you know, late, many years later when I had a kid, I got him one. It's like, oh, I wonder if this is what that guy was using. Anyway, the phone calls kept escalating. And it would never happen when my husband was at home. It was always when I was home alone. And I started closing all the blinds, curtains, what have you. This person could still tell. Your shoes are at the foot of the bed. You have a Stephen King novel. Is it any good? You know, and, oh. I, and I started to get really scared. It sounds like they have cameras in your house. I don't scare easily. I'm a New York Italian. And I get, usually get pissed off before I get scared. But what frightened me is then this person began to talk about the UFO related and this one particular abduction case because I had become friends with the guy and his wife and I was trying to help them. And he started saying things that he was going to do that, and I'm not going to repeat them. Um, and just always knowing where I was, I had a, t- a, a condo at the time that I, I ended up getting so scared. I told Laura about it. She was having some problems, too. We disbanded our MUFON group. Mm. She left town. She up took her family and moved out to Montana because they were getting so much harassment, which I believe she's still there. And I just left MUFON. I said, I, I can't do this. You know, I don't want right. to die for... And then later on, years later... I mean, I kept my interest up, and I didn't do anything vocally or... or um publicly with it and then later when i started writing i was almost hesitant to write about ufos but i have not been bothered since (laughs) but it was enough that harassment and i wasn't followed you must have written something that struck a nerve what exactly were you writing about this person because shortly after that happened i lost complete touch with this couple with uh, the guy and his wife, and I'm not going to say their names out of privacy, but I lost touch with them and I have not been able to find them again. I even tried like Facebook, you know, what is it? The, the things that you can pay to try to find people under names. I, in my heart, and I can't prove this, believe that that particular case, because he was doing these military deliveries and, and he was a computer tech you know, at a time when that was just sort of starting, um, I think that's what it was. And because Laura and I were trying to help him, I think they were afraid that we were going to be told something, or maybe we had been told something. Right. So it, it was enough to scare me away from the field until I started writing nonfiction books. And I said, you know, what are they going to do now? The book's out there. They're going to have to go after, you know, and I'm not revealing anything that nobody else. Knows. I mean, it's ridiculous. Um, and then I, I, again, talking to other TIs and one in particular, the Jesus uh, Mendoza Maldonado, whose case I think is the most credible. I mean, he took this all the way to the Supreme Court and he and his family were being harassed. They were getting sick. He couldn't work for a long time. He had pictures of the microwave burns, the damage to electronics and computers in their home, mm-hmm. all on yeah. his website. And then his website and the, the blogs were, were gone. 
And I think that he might be in the process of trying to get them back up. I heard from a friend of mine that had talked to him and said that he, he's still very unhealthy, you know, cannot function when this happens. But he was trying to get the information back up. And he made everything very public for a while. So I think that there's definitely harassment that goes on. I experienced right. it uh, myself. Another little story, if we have time. Oh, yeah, yeah. When Larry and I were writing, and Larry still makes fun of me because he thinks I'm full of crap. But I stand <laughs> by this. But it's good. I mean, Larry's like, you know, the, the real skeptic who keeps who keeps me sane. Um, when we were writing Mind Wars, I was living in another location. I was living at the top of a hill. And for about a two-month period, I started having pulse electronic pulses up from through my feet, up through my legs while I was sitting at the computer. And I would hear people talking in my head. And wow. I hear... I'm a ham radio operator, and I know what Morse code sounds like. I was right. hearing very structured clicks and pulses and tones. Right. And it got to the point where I was hearing it 24-7. I could not sleep. It was so intrusive to my thoughts. I, I had to stop working for a while. I went to my doctor, who's the most awesome young doctor, who's very open to all kinds of stuff. She checked me for tinnitus, for inner ear imbalance, for MS, because the, the electronic pulse sensation right. is a symptom of MS. She said, you are as healthy as a freaking horse. She hmm. said, maybe the location that you're at, you're getting, you know, you're hearing your neighbors. You're at such a, because it really was a prime spot for like ham radio and right. picking up uh we had a repeater really close by, blah, blah, blah. So I thought, okay, well, maybe that's what's happening. Maybe my neighbor's below. Maybe I'm sitting above their office, and so I'm getting some EM stuff going on. I really was able to rationalize it away, except that it kept continuing. And every now and then I would hear words and phrases. It didn't make any sense. Right. In other words, I didn't hear Marie stop writing the book. It, it was just jumbled. And then I moved, and now I live on a golf course way down at the bottom of the same hill where I don't get any uh, – I can't pick up anything at all, and it's hmm. never happened since. So you were on top of a hill. I was on top of a hill. So I was, I was paranoid for a while thinking, I wonder if somebody's aware that I'm writing the book because I'm doing all these searches, and I'm on the phone, I'm talking to people, and if they're – toying with me just to try to you know scare me a little bit because i have to tell you when you hear that stuff you can't sleep it's so right. structured and patterned that you start listening and paying attention to it because you're thinking you know what the hell right. it, it was really freaky so then it stopped and and when i told larry he was like yo you're just crazy you know maria are you <laughs> Are you are you familiar with uh, a, a man named Richard Shaver and the Shaver mystery? No, no. Oh, okay. Well, Tim and I both have written extensively about Richard Shaver and the Shaver mystery. And one of his uh, experiences, what really got him started was he started he was using a welder. This was back in the in the nineteen thirties and forties. He was using a welder, and he started hearing voices. And conversations and snippets of conversations, and he thought he was going crazy. And he started hearing them mainly when he was using this this thing that was generating a powerful electromagnetic field. Then later in life, he claimed that, I guess later he could just hear them. 
Um, and they supposedly came from an underground race of uh, people from below, before the flood who had retreated underground, and he was able to hear them. Um, very interesting. Well what, well, what you're talking about sounds like exactly the same thing that he was describing, including the electromagnetic uh, impulse feeling and all the rest of it. Yeah, I mean, my first fear was that I had MS. My father died of ALS, hmm. and, you know, that was another thing I was thinking about because it was around the same time that I was writing the book. But, you know, I, I'm not the kind of person that gets really paranoid unless something continues or I have a lot of evidence that it's more than me just, you know, maybe misinterpreting something. But that really creeped me out because I have had ringing in the ears in the past. I don't have tinnitus, but, I've, you know, we've all had that happen. Mm-hmm. This was structured. Okay, this, like I said, it sounded like Morse code, and it was being used with pulses, clicks, tones, and then I would hear words. And my first, you know, my first response is always look for the normal explanation, you know, the scientific explanation, the common sense explanation. But you do get a little bit paranoid when you're writing about this subject and you start experiencing it. And honest to God, I thought back to what happened with with MUFON and with this phone call, and I started thinking, uh, you know, I'm going to start looking around, making sure I'm not being followed or anything, and nothing, nothing else happened. It was just that. But it was really intriguing because if that is what these people are experiencing, I can see how debilitating that is to you, not just your mental health, but your physical health. You cannot sleep. I mean, it's hard enough to sleep when you have ideas going through your mind, but when you have very structured pulses and clicks and tones, your brain automatically wants to see that, seek the pattern, and it just sort of locks in on it. And there's no way that you can relax through it. And, you know, some a friend would say, well, put on headphones. Well, no, 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 this is not an external sound. This is, I can put headphones on. I would turn the TV up. I put earplugs in. It's in my head. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that, that they're just throwing it out there. But it was really a little disconcerting when it was happening. And I can, well, imagine, I- I can imagine the suffering these people go through, no matter what the real explanation is. <laughs> well, and we we do know that this te- that the technology exists yes. uh, yeah. to 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 beam uh, you know the uh, yeah. words and, and and what have you into a person's uh, uh, yep. head. Well, you know, in fact, and I mean, the United States is not the only country oh, not that at all. that yeah. has this. You know, I mean, the former Soviet Union um, was uh, really far ahead of this, and and in fact, uh, during the whole um, Waco fiasco, the uh, the United States government brought in a Russian expert and his machinery in an attempt to try to, you know, like uh, beam messages yeah. into into the compound to tell, you know, to try to mentally influence the people, you know, like tell, I, I, I don't know, I guess maybe have them, uh, have the voices tell them that God's telling them to, to, right. to surrender peacefully, oh, surrender. right. And right. I think it's been used on the battlefield, too, where uh, messages were beamed to the enemy soldiers to back down, you know, lay down your weapons, what have you. So we know this stuff is, it exists, it's obviously being used, and 
if this technology was developed back in the 60s, I cannot even imagine. And I and we tried to find something about, you know, what might be available now. And of course you can't, you're not going to find anything. But I can't even imagine what they're capable of in right. 2015 and let's think 2020. Well, um, they've already admitted that they have. Yeah, I mean, are we going to be yeah. thinking our own thoughts? Or are they being beamed in from a remote right. location? Well, they have they have stuff like this that they also use for crowd control. Yeah, yeah, Lita and uh, yeah. I remember there was L.A. prison riot a while back where they did a they used a heat weapon and they right. got so much crap for it. Right. But they use they the use prisoners. they use a, sound? a microwave a microwave weapon and they use right. the, the type the type of thing that that can create a resonant frequency in your skull and yeah. all, kind, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, sound yeah. Is, is a great... Sonic weapons are... I mean, they're non-lethal, but they're very debilitating because we know that, you know, certain infrasonic and ultrasonic frequencies, they can bring you to your knees. And yeah. 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 It's, it yeah. is a way of... I, you know, I mean, if you say to me, don't you think that's better to use that kind of thing on the battlefield than kill... Than having our soldiers get killed, well, maybe so. But when it's being used on us, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and not on the battlefield, it's, it gets a little creepy. But it is it is really frightening to think that this technology has been around for decades, and where we will be in ten years, uh, I don't. Need, I can't even imagine. Now, the uh, I, one example that I can think of just off of the top of my head uh, of a uh, like an audio. Uh, a device that was conceived originally in the whole MK Ultra was the uh, the narrow beam um, voice messages, and uh, if you go to a Walmart now, you see that all the time. Uh, if, if you're walking if you're walking down the aisle, uh, at the end of each aisle, a lot of times they will have these messages that they have like little speakers and right. they're, they're very narrow beamed. I mean, if you stand on either side of it, just, I mean, a matter of inches, you don't hear it. But if yeah. you're directly in that beam, you can hear it. I heard, um, I heard from another radio show host that, that when that television series, um, Oh, the college paranormal kids. What was it? I'm having a brain freeze today. The mm, paranormal no. state. Okay, so that's when it. Yes, state was being promoted. That that same type of technology was being used on. You know those bus benches that have the backdrop. You know where you sit. Mm. It's almost like a little awning thing. Well, I guess right. in New York City they were promoting paranormal state, where you'd walk by a particular bus bench that had the speaker. You know, and you'd hear voices in your head say, watch the show, <laughs> da, da, da. And then you take another step and you don't hear it. You're like, what? <laughs> Did somebody just say something to me? So obviously the advertising industry is, is on top of this technology too. And it just, you know, again, how much of the stuff that's in our heads are we aware of <clears throat> that's being pumped in and channeled in and and broadcast in from somewhere else and from somebody else because we really are so distracted most of the time mm-hmm. that we're not paying attention, right? I mean, I would walk by one yep. of those displays in Walmart and I'd probably not even, it wouldn't even register with me unless I wanted to buy that product. Well, and that's that's uh, that's another aspect about all of this is uh, uh, how 
a lot of this technology has gotten into uh, 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 like being used by corporations for advertising, uh, subliminal advertising, uh, things like that. Um, uh, there was a there was a book that I remember reading years ago. Gosh, uh, and Mike, you may be familiar with this one, where the author claimed that um, uh, what was it? It was like a, a orgy in in, in like fried clams. Uh, a picture of fried clams. Oh my gosh! <laughs> uh, um, uh, and it, 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 this book dealt particularly with the use of um, uh, uh, sex in um, pictures. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, subliminal seduction. That's it. That's it. That's it. Yeah, that's it's it. Great that's book. Right. Yep. Yeah, great and, book. Yeah, and 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 I, and I really do think that I mean some of the stuff that I, that that he used as an example, I just think he was just kind of you know trying to. <laughs> You know, some, some sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> you see something in it because you know your brain is again trying to find some kind of pattern and, and some order out of chaos, and you're seeing something that may not be there to other people. But I do think, though, <laughs> that uh, the advertising industry has uh, learned uh, quite a bit. Uh, yeah. From some of these uh, these these earlier researching uh, researches, and as has applied them uh, to uh, to get the population to 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 you know buy more, you buy, know. consume. Yeah, and I think that's that almost bothers me more. Now I expect my government to do crappy, sinister things behind my back, but <laughs> when corporations and the media and advertisers are manipulating us to such a degree just to get us to give them our money. And once you see it, you can never not see it. And mm-hmm. it, it's just, they talk about stalking and, and tracking people's every moves. I mean, talk about harassment. It's gotten to the point where you buy something. If you buy something online, say you buy a pair of shoes on uh, paylessshoes.com, if, if it exists. I think it does. You know, for the next 10 years of your life, you're going to get shoe ads on Facebook and your Yahoo homepage and, you know, your Gmail homepage because they they are tracking every purchase. They're tracking your searches. They're trying to target market. Oh, yeah. You look at something on eBay and it starts popping up yeah. in your news feed. Oh, my gosh. And so Facebook, of course, is the biggest offender. And I think what a lot of people don't know is how much Facebook tracks and and controls your every move and how heavily they are invading our privacy. And I ran across, you know, well, Larry, again, he works in cybersecurity for Homeland Security. So he kind of has a real, and and the only reason why he can't do a lot of radio is just time constraints, but he really has a lot of knowledge about how we are being data mined and, and not just the government, you know, our data is being sold to the highest bidder. And a lot of times right. it's advertisers. And I know, and Facebook, I've noticed that if you go into your settings, there's a lot of stuff in there you're probably not even aware that is tracking your every move, your every yeah. like, every click. Right. And you can shut it off. doesn't necessarily mean they're not going to keep doing it. But I think people need to be more aware of how everything they do on their cell phone is it's open season, folks. I'm sorry, but... You don't have any privacy, no matter how many apps you download that say you do. Yeah, I, mean, right. I, yep. I went in again yesterday, 
as a matter of fact. It turned off a whole bunch of stuff that had turned itself on. And it happens like if you go to a website and you connect with Facebook, it'll say, leave a comment, connect with Facebook. Well, it's easier to do that than to fill out a regular account with every website on the Internet. But once you do that, that website then is turned on in Facebook and it's accessing your data. Yeah. So I went through there. Yeah. Actively accessing your account. That's right, and I just turned it all off. I turned them yeah, all off. Yeah, I went in once and I had 11 open active sessions from all yeah. over the world. I'm like, what the yeah. heck? Exactly. <laughs> and I never knew that until somebody pointed it out to me, and and now I check every day. And it's just kind of like checking your bank account online to make sure somebody's not using your bank account. You have to do that in, in the same way. <clears throat> yep. Yeah, that's scary. right. Well, what uh, you know, we we had talked a little bit, you know, earlier about uh, what if if they have this kind of technology available to them, you know, back in the you know in the seventies, you know, what do they have available now, and what do they have available? Uh, what's going to be available in the future? I mean, you know, uh, of course, this is just speculation on your part, uh, uh, Marie. But from you know the examples that you have run across uh, from the past, I mean, what uh, what direction do you see this going? I mean, do you think it's just going to uh, you know just just peter out and go away, and they're not going to be interested in us anymore? Do you think it's going to get worse? Well, you know what's really been scaring me lately are the comments that are being made by some really big names, including Stephen Hawking, about artificial intelligence. And artificial intelligence having the capacity to have to gain consciousness at some point. And, and what that could mean. I mean, really, will we be made obsolete if we continue to worship technology over humanity? I'm real concerned about that. That was a big concern of my father's, too. Um, one of the real scary things that we found that it is brain hacking, the ability to literally interface your brain into your computer and, and go back and forth. That's you know what amazes, like, what amazes me, uh, uh, Marie, about that uh-huh. are people who actually want that to happen. They well, actually as a writer, wish to, it would be yeah. kind of cool if I didn't have to type out my books. I could just think about, except that there'd be a whole lot of other thoughts that would get in there. <laughs> <laughs> that would have to well, well, you know, that's, that's a refinement. That's a refinement process. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I can see there's a lot of tech geeks that just salivate at this stuff, and I think that they're optimists because I don't think that they're looking at these as being, you know, having a sinister component to them. But we all know that any technology that can be used for good can be used for bad just as well. And, you know, we start messing with with robotics and AI to the point where we no longer are needed. We're going to lose more jobs. We're going to lose more control. We We barely have We already are. We already are. There was an entire factory in China uh, a couple of weeks ago that totally got rid of I don't know how many hundred employees and replace them all with robotic. Automated and robotic. Yeah. yeah. And That's you know, awesome. when you, when you, when you have people of low skill level and look, let's face it, there are people who will always, for whatever reason, be of low skill level. That's just the yeah. way it works. Okay. Those people are, are, are making hamburgers. Right. That was not designed to be a career position. Right, exactly. Okay. exactly. But that's what they want to do, and they're stuck there doing it, and they're 45 years old or whatever. And they start demanding $15 an hour. What they don't understand is 
so and so can afford to have a company that pays X number of, of workers this amount of money. However, if everybody starts making fifteen dollars an hour, they're going to be some people leaving the workforce, and they're going to be some kiosks going in. Right, right. And that's where we are, and I think it's just going to get worse. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think the more that we automate and we introduce, now we have robotic surgeons, and mm-hmm. I'm sorry, but you know, I don't necessarily trust a human surgeon not to maybe have been drinking a little before, but I I trust a robot operating on me less. Exactly. Exactly. We're heading. It's almost. It's almost. Well, you can't avoid this. Well, it's almost. It's just like when you're on on a telephone call, and you get one of these automated systems, and it's almost like it's arguing with you. Yeah. You know, and you're trying to punch the buttons or tell it what to do. And finally, I, I figured out how to deal with these these automated voice recognition pieces of crap that you get on the phone. <laughs> what you do is, if you can't get it to connect you to anybody and ask you to say yes or no or 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 what is this in re- give us right. a, a keyword, something say something to give them a keyword <laughs> or what you're calling in regard to, I just say something like. <laughs> and then I'll just, it, it'll go, I'm sorry, I did not get that. Could you be? And, like, and then eventually it'll say, it, it might take three times, but it'll say, yeah, I will connect yeah. you with a person Isn't who can help awful? you with that. And and see, I usually cuss, and it takes a while. <laughs> it must be used to cuss words because it takes me a little longer. But but you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, you do that enough, and you're kind of messed with the system. Yeah. But it is scary. It'll, it'll <laughs> Yeah, we're on the we're on the the cusp of you know technology taking over. I mean, come on, walk around at the local mall or just wherever, and everybody's on their phones or looking yeah. down. Nobody's looking at each other, talking to each mm-hmm. other. We're we're about to lose our humanity if we're not. The art of, yeah, the art of inter- human interaction is is in serious danger. And yeah, you can even get how uh, I mean, I, I'll see young a young guy and girl. You know, sitting in a booth and they're both looking at their phone. Oh my God, that's the new date. When you it go is. on a date, it's like, yeah. okay, where are we going to go and, and check on our phones together? That's the, <laughs> you know? and I mean, I have a 14 year old son. He's a tech geek. He's absolutely brilliant. But even he knows the, the, you know, that he gets together with his, his friends all the time because even they understand that. You have to have that FaceTime and that one-on-one time pushing each other and goofing around. And, you know, and, and I think that maybe the kids will save us. I, I don't know. I think the adults are more guilty of being addicted to technology than we say our kids are. I think mm, we just oh, yeah. it's, it's easier to project the guilt, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, uh, guys, uh, unfortunately, we are almost out of time here. So, uh, Maria, I want to uh, give you a chance to let our audience know where they can uh, find your, your book, Mind Wars, and your other books, uh, and uh, website, and uh, any upcoming events that uh, you'd like to, to tell anybody about. Now's the time to do it. Okay, well, the books are everywhere books are sold, um, online brick and mortar we always encourage people to go into your local brick and mortars because they're going out of business left and right and that's that's tragic they should be in libraries they're on kindle you name it um websites my personal website is mariedjones.com my website with larry is para explorers p-a-r-a para explorers.com i will be at the i think it's called the conspiracon 
um, in October in Hollywood. Next, Larry will be at Dragon Con. And uh, I don't know where he goes after that. He does a lot more speaking than I do. But we, you know, we're both on Facebook. So we, separately and together, we try to keep people abreast of what we're doing everywhere. <laughs> and uh, can you can you give us a hint of uh, maybe uh, what's, uh, what's, what's going to be coming next? Yeah, what's the coming, um, Marie? Well, Larry and I, uh, our next nonfiction book is supposed to be Bug, The Hunt for the World's Smallest Terrorists about viruses emerging and reemerging right. the threat. I am going to be re-releasing a book that I wrote with my father a few years ago with some updated revised information called Super Volcano. And as you know, a lot of stuff has been in the news about Yellowstone and, and right. Canadian region. So that'll be soon. And um, what else? I have a number of fiction projects that we'll be releasing throughout 2016, mostly science fiction stuff. So I have one called Disclosure that's going to be a fiction and nonfiction project on UFO Disclosure. And it's being pitched for a TV series. And I'm really excited about that one. Oh well, best of best of luck with that one. You know, yeah, uh, sounds I, great. I really, sounds yeah. really good. Yeah, yeah. that that's that's going to be really fun. So, well, listen, stay in touch because we need to have I you back. Will. I'd like to talk to you about Bug a little more because before you came on, we were actually talking about viruses from Mars. So, yeah, you know what? It just it's so I I, I hate to say this, but viruses have always been a passion of mine, and I know that sounds really freaky. But I just I'm fascinated by the fact that these invisible things can be so incredibly powerful and the way they right. mutate and yeah, so that'll be interesting. Alright. Well Yeah, we definitely we definitely would like to have you back again uh, sometime absolutely. in the future. Absolutely, absolutely. I would love All to. Right. It's a blast. Right. Well thank you again, Marie, for being yep. with us uh, tonight. Uh, we really appreciate it. So uh Mike, that's uh, that's it for tonight. We're gonna have to wrap right. it up. Well, have a good week, everybody. Yeah, you as well. So from uh, Mike Mott and our uh, guest tonight, uh, Marie Jones, this is Tim Swartz. You have been listening to The Outer Edge. Thank you very much for listening, and be sure to tune in again this time next week for another fascinating program. So good night, and take care. Be careful of what you say. Be careful in every way. Be careful of what you do. Big Brother is watching you. Be circumspect and discreet. Stay light on your mental feet. One slip and you know you're through. Big Brother is watching you. Conform with all directives. Remember obedience pays. Screen. Remember it works both ways You'll disappear in a wink Unless you can double think You'll vanish into the blue Big Brother is watching you